Multiply Lake Norman. How we doing today? Everybody feeling good? That's what I'm talking about. Y'all, y'all give it up. Y'all give it up for these two Vanna Whites right here. Bring in. That was, that was a joke. That's where you laugh. That's, that's perfect. That's beautiful. Well, yeah, that's good. Does that look good to y'all? Does it look good? Y'all can see, y'all can see the colors. Well, good. Hey, listen, my name is Pastor Zach. I, I have the honor and the privilege of being our lead pastor here at Multiply Lake Norman. And, and man, I'm excited for us stepping into to this new series. Uh, bef- but before I get started, babe, can you, can you bring that to me right there? Because this is, this is yes, important. Sir. This is important hardware. Y'all, the faster pastor. Listen, look at that. I don't know if y'all noticed or not, but I mean, they, I mean I'm basically famous now. I was... I'll give this back to you because I'm not that famous. Here, here's a funny story from it. So we were sitting, um, like all the, the pastors were together. They, they fed us Panera and all that good stuff. Like it was our last meal in case we died or something. But there were some kids that were, that were racing. And, and one of the kids came in. And uh, for those of you who know Corey LaJoy, he was there. That's the fire suit that I was in, um, the, the Built Bar fire suit. And, and he... he uh, might have made some safety modifications to the bus to make it um, maybe go a little faster or, or hug the track a little more. But anyway, when we pulled up, all these kids were like asking for his autograph because he races for a living. He, he races in NASCAR. He's a real driver, a real NASCAR driver. I'm just the wannabe that's racing buses, right? So these two kids are walking up and they're like, Corey, Corey, can you, can you sign my hat? Can you sign my hat? And he's like, yeah, absolutely, man. So Corey signs his hat and uh, one of the boys looks at me, he goes, hey, are you part of his pit crew? And I'm like, <laughs> like, no, buddy, I'm not. I'm actually racing buses today. And the oldest brother goes, well, can I get your autograph? And I'm like, heck yeah, you can, man. So I'm signing his hat, and then his eight-year-old brother looks up at me and goes, why do you want his autograph? So in a moment of being like really high and really low, so I, I had my 15 seconds of fame, but man, we had a good time. Why is stuff like this important? It's fun to, to get out into the community. I think a lot of times churches, it's good, listen, it's good for churches to get out and serve. It's good for churches to meet the needs of the community, but it's also good for churches to get out and just to have fun in the community. Uh, so we had about 40 or 50 people show up, and we had an absolute blast. Uh, we got invited back next year, so I get to, I get to, to defend the trophy, defend the, the championship, so you guys can come out uh, for that. But it's important for us to be in community together. With that being said, all right, fellas, y'all ready? I'm priming the pump here. We have our men's retreat this coming week. I don't know if y'all are excited or not. Listen, we have, we have 53 men signed up to go on this retreat. Uh, if you haven't signed up yet, I'm going to throw this out. People are going to hate me for this later. We still have room because what, we, there's 48 beds, 53 people. But this is what we've done. This is what we've done. Uh, we've, we're bringing a bunch of tents. There's like eight of us that are already camping out. Uh, so there's plenty of beds left available. If we need to have more of you guys, here, here's, my, here's my promise to you. I will never turn anybody away if I get to camp out outside. I'm, I'm going to camp out. There's a few other guys that camp out. So if you feel like you're craving that community, there is still space for you. But, but listen, we're going to be men. We're going to blow stuff up. We're going to compete. We're going to have fun. And we're going we're gonna to worship and all that good stuff. So we're going to have a blast. Uh, but we're, no pun intended, I don't think. But <laughs> anyway, uh, we're stepping out of our Living for More series. And we're stepping into our symphony series. I love, I loved our Living for More series. I love the idea of walking through Ephesians 4 for 10 weeks. I love the idea of us understanding our divine design. But now we have to understand how all of us work in unison, and we have to start with the individual. 
So this idea of, of symphony, loving God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. If you're taking notes, I'm looking to see who's taking notes right now. I'm like the teacher in the classroom. If you're taking notes, there, raise your hand if you're still a pen and paper like note taker. You heard from the Lord. Raise your hand if you're like, if you're taking notes on your phone. You're close to the Lord. Raise your hand if you're not taking notes at all. Y'all are wrong. There, there's a place called heaven and there's another place that you might go to if you don't take notes. No. Uh, but man, take notes because we want you to be able to go back and, and read through this later during the week. But if you're taking notes, write down these scriptures. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 31 and Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Those are going to be some premier verses for us today. But have you ever noticed that maybe you're in the room and if you're like me, you don't have to work hard at becoming distracted because if you're like me, you become easily distracted. For example, I'm the person in the room that will start to make the list, and by the time I get to the bottom of the list, I forgot what's on my list. Anybody else in the room? I think God finds it humorous that I'm the one that gets to come up here and preach uh, every Sunday because I'm the one that if you only knew what was going through my head and what I really wanted to say, like I'm, I'm looking at Brian right now, and I'm thinking, Brian, what did you just say to your wife? Like that, that's literally what, what went through my head. Uh, and so I, I look around, what's that? I know he's talking about me as, as if my ears were burning, like I could hear. But, but I, I literally do that. I, I'm, I'm sitting up here or standing up here right now, and I just want to ask questions. I want to be like, hey, Greg, how was vacation? Hey, like, John, when's the last time you played golf? Like, I just want to ask random questions, just have random conversations with people. But it's, it's easy for me to become distracted. Anybody else in the room that you get distracted easily? So much so that I have to go back to my notes and go, what was I even, what was I even talking about? But for me, it's, it's easy, and I want to ask this question to, to kind of kick off this series. What could your life look like if you could tune out the noise and block out the distractions? Because we're all distracted by something. We all have noise in our life, but what would it look like if you could truly focus to live a life of harmony with the Spirit leading you? Because what, I, what I've come to realize is that we live in an overstimulated and oversaturated world. Something's always pulling for our attention. Zach, we were having this conversation uh, at Bible study this past Thursday. We were talking about all the, the kids we see. That's when we know we're getting old, <laughs> when we can say, all those kids. <laughs> but we were talking about kids and how they can, or, or anybody really, they can just jump from social media to social media, and they're talking to like five different people on different social media platforms. My brain does not function that way. I'm like a one-track mind kind of person. We're easily distracted. I think the superpower of the 21st century will be the ability to focus. I mean, if you have the ability to focus, then, then you're going to go further and faster than anyone else because there's something always pulling for your attention. I, I think back to a couple movies. Anybody ever watch Limitless? Limitless was the, the movie with, with the pill. It's like when, when the dude took it, he like w could like super focus on everything that was going on around him. It made him smarter. It made him engage on a deeper level. I think back to like the Sherlock Holmes movies. Y'all remember the Sherlock Holmes movies? And like every time he fights somebody, it's like everything slows down for him and he can focus on everything else around him. Again, the superpower of the 21st century is going to be that are going to be if you can focus or not. What I'm learning is that what we focus on, we ultimately become. So if you're taking notes, j jot some things down. What are you focusing on in your life? 
Maybe you're focusing on your job. Maybe you're focusing on your family. Maybe you're focusing on your kids. Maybe you're focusing on how you get involved or plugged into church. Maybe you're focusing on how you can plug into your community. There's no wrong answers, but what are you focusing on? Again, what you focus on is what you become. I've had the opportunity to, uh, to go mountain bike riding with Josh Randalls a couple of times, maybe three or four times. And, and this is the way it goes every single time. Josh is always in front of me. I'm always behind him. He's got enough breath in his lungs to talk to me, and I'm doing everything I can to just keep up. And here's the problem. Josh is a little more uh, slender than I am, and if you've ever been on a mountain bike trail, trees are not forgiving. And inevitably what happens when we're mountain biking is Josh will look over his shoulder because he's that coordinated enough to not hit anything and look over his shoulder, and he screams back, think skinny, be skinny. I can think skinny all I want, but there ain't nothing about this body that says skinny. The problem is my shoulders are wider than the handlebars, so what I start focusing on is the trees that I don't want to hit, and what happens? I hit that tree. And then your pastor has to repent because I'm saying some four-letter words that I shouldn't say. But what you focus on, you become. What you focus on is ultimately what your life will shift towards. And here, here's the thing, in our day-to-day, we say things like, I don't want to be bitter. We focus on not being bitter, and inevitably what happens? We're bitter. We try to focus so deeply on not being angry, and then what happens? We get angry. We tell ourselves over and over again, parents in the room, I don't want to snap at my kids, and inevitably what happens? You snap at your kids. It's because we're focusing on the wrong things. And then we beat ourselves up over and over again every time we do what we vowed that we wouldn't do. So the million dollar question is what should we focus on? I thought it would be a really good idea to focus on what Jesus focused on. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 12, picking up in verse 28. Scripture says this, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments... Which is most important? So Jesus is given the right answers, right? He's saying everything correctly. The teachers of the law recognize this, and they try to catch him in a trap. So they say, hey, Jesus, which one is most important? Which law should we focus on the most? Verse 29, Jesus says this, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I mean, listen to the fullness of the reply that Jesus gives. What was his response? And I think most people would be familiar with this verse, and they jump into, right right into, we've all heard this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And that's what we initially go through, and that's true, but there's a statement before that one that often gets overlooked. In fact, thinking back to past sermons that I've preached or or past sermons that I've heard other people preach on this verse, I've never heard it spoke about, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. I'm familiar with the love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, but, but oftentimes I skip over that first piece. But why would, why would Jesus include that? What did he mean when, when he said, Hear, O Israel, that the Lord our God 
is one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So you have in this moment, Jesus, God the Son, is introducing people to the fullness of himself, preparing the way for him to introduce them to the Holy Spirit. And while there's a distinct difference in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God is one. You can't separate the Father from the Son from the Holy Spirit. It's the triune Godhead. And we know, according to Genesis, that we're all created in God's image. So if God is different entities, but all make up one, then when Jesus says heart, mind, soul, and strength, then we have to understand that those things aren't mutually exclusive. See, what we like to do is we like to separate things and compartmentalize things. And our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength are four different entities. Yes, they are, but they all make up one. They can't be separated from one another. So I need four people to come up here real quick. Two ladies, two guys. Ready, set, go. Come up the stairs. I got Anwar. I got Darius. I got two guys. I need two ladies. I need one more lady. Aubrey, Rachel, come on. You're right there. Let's go, Rachel. That's what I'm talking about. That's what happens when you sit close to the stage. All right, this is what I need you to do. I need somebody, whoever thinks they have the biggest heart, go ahead and grab green. Who's got the biggest heart? Darius. Darius, grab, grab, grab the heart. Anwar, you go ahead and grab the clear one. You'll, you'll be the mind. There you go. Aubrey, which, which one's your favorite color out of those two? That one? Okay, perfect. Rachel, you grab the blue one. So you have heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Heart, mind, soul, and strength. So Darius, go ahead and pull your big old heart into that bucket. The green heart, going all the way. Do not make a mess. Anybody else as nervous as I am right now? So there's the heart. There's the heart. Anwar, go ahead and pour in the mind. So all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And all your strength. This thing was supposed to turn colors, but still looks like a big old heart, right? So all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, they can't be mutually exclusive. It makes sense, right? They're all in one jar. All the colors are mixed together. Who had the orange? You had orange? This is what I need you to do, all right? All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. I need you to take the orange back out of that. Go, go ahead. Try, try to take the orange back out. I need every drop of orange to come back out. You're thinking to yourself, I can't, I can't do it, right? Can anybody out here think they can get the orange back out of this? Anybody at all? You can't do it, right? Go ahead and put your glasses down for a second. Y'all give it up for these guys. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. If, they're all, if, if they can't be mutually exclusive, then why do we try to compartmentalize them in our life? Why, why don't we act as if they're all together? Why do we act as if we have to separate our heart from our mind and our mind from our soul and our soul from our strength? We absolutely can't. That, that's why Jesus started out with, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. It's the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. They have to work in unison together. 
let me give you some practical life application. This would be like you saying, hey, man, I love Jesus. I wake up and I, get, I, I do my devotionals every morning. I pray for three hours every morning. I never argue with my wife or with my spouse. I, I'm, I'm a perfect Christian. And then you eat Doritos for dinner. And you count fried okra as a vegetable. You never take, some of y'all are like, it is, we're in the South. <laughs> but you take care of your spiritual life, but, but you neglect your physical life. Don't worry, I'm going to offend everybody in the room. Because there's individuals in the room that you work out six, seven days a week. And you're so concerned with the physical attributes of your body. You're concerned with how you compete Maybe in CrossFit, maybe in other uh, sports, maybe in other physical activities. And you, man, your body is primed. But then you get your, um, I guess, spiritual activity from watching what other people say on Instagram. You get your, your word of encouragement for what, from what other people repost about the Bible, opposed to diving in yourself, opposed to having a devotional Life. Hear me, I'm not trying to condemn anybody or shame anybody. I just want to paint a good picture for our series of symphony that these things aren't mutually exclusive. It's your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And today I really want to focus on the heart. I want to focus on the heart. Acts chapter 13 verse 22 says this, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, now here's where I'm going to make a unique application. See, a lot of times I can make an application for men and for women and, and principles and scripture. And, and ladies in the room, hear me. David's life absolutely applies to you. You can be a woman after God's own heart. Men in the room, Esther's life absolutely applies to you. God can raise you up for such a time as this. But, but I felt led today to specifically call out the men. Ladies, if you came with a man, nudge him generously and say, take notes. If you came with a man today, nudge him and say, hey, listen up. Because in the context of where our culture and society are, perhaps like no other time in our history, we need men to be men after God's own heart. You know what's unique about me just saying that? There was one man that said, come on, and I heard about 17 ladies' voices. <laughs> That's where you nudge your spouse or significant other again. But we, we need men to be men after God's own heart. What I'm finding out is that there is an absolute war against men today. There is an absolute war against boys today. So I'm going to tell you this straight up. This isn't going to be a balanced message. I do have balanced theology and balanced practice. I, I believe that there are powerful women in the room. I believe in women in ministry. I believe in women in leadership. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, on his sons and his daughters, that's men and women, on the old and the young, that's every generation, on male and female servants, your socioeconomic status does not, does not matter. The spirit is the great equalizer. Ladies in the room, listen, before I even go any further, I want to affirm you. I want to affirm you as daughters. I want to affirm you as single women. I want to affirm you as women and as wives and as mothers, as ministers of the gospel. But there is a crisis today and there is an all-out war waging against men. Fellas, I'm going to get in your grits today. Think of it this way. We're laying the foundation for our men's retreat. Yes, I said get in your grits again. Uh, that's going to end up being a shirt. 
But I'm laying the foundation specifically for our men's retreat. And listen, if you're not going, that, that's totally fine. But, but I'm laying the foundation because I'm tired of the American church having soft men in it. But I think we need to identify what a strong man really looks like. Christina Hoff Sommers, she's a, a doctor of philo- philosophy, and she says this, it's on the screen. As our schools become more feeling-centered, risk-averse, competition-free, and sedentary, they move further and further away from the characteristic sensibilities of boys. Me, some of the research that I did in some elementary schools, tug-of-war is now being replaced with tug-of-peace. True story. Franklin Elementary School in Santa Monica, California, actually outlawed TAG. They said this, the principal explained to the parents, the running part of this activity is healthy and encouraged. However, in this game, there is a victim which creates, creates self-esteem issues. I promise you, I don't have self-esteem issues from playing TAG in fifth grade. <laughs> now, I might have self-esteem issues, but it ain't from playing TAG <laughs> in fifth grade. Schools in Texas, Maryland, New York, and Virginia have banned dodgeball. One teacher said this, anytime you throw an object at somebody, it creates an environment of retaliation and resentment. This is the world that we're living in. Somers goes on to say this, in the war against boys, the first casualty is truth. The first casualty is truth. So what is truth? Man, I believe that, that truth is scriptural. Truth is biblical. So what does the Bible say? Somers goes on to say this, It has become fashionable to pathologize the behavior of millions of healthy male children. We have turned against boys and forgotten a simple truth. The energy, competitiveness, and daring of normal males are responsible for much of what is right in the world. Being a boy is not a social disease. Uh, There was a toy manufacturer, Hasbro's Toys. They They did a study on the difference between boys and girls. So they put them in this room, and they had the same type of house. Some would call it a dollhouse. It just looked like a normal, normal house. Had different characters in the house. It had a mom and a dad. Had boys and girls. Had little pets. Had a little baby carriage. And then there were some other uh, things kind of surrounding the house. It looked like a catapult or like some army figurines or whatever the case may be. And they just put the kids in the room and absolutely just let them play. And what they found out was this, all the girls, every girl would make like a little family out of the family. And they would play house. They would play mom and dad. Inevitably what happened is the boys would take the baby carriage and catapult it off of the top of the house. And the Hasbro executive, he came up with this this life-altering, life-changing statement. And he said this, we just found out that boys and girls are different. That's all his life-altering who would have thunk it? Boys and girls are different. The APA, the Associated Psychological Association, a couple weeks ago, they, uh, they put out some new material. And it was the first time that they ever, they, they've categorized toxic masculinity, but they've, they're, they're beginning to do more studies on masculinity. And in the direction that the APA is going, they're trying to label masculinity as a mental disorder. That if a person is overly competitive, they have a mental disorder. That if a person is overly aggressive, they have a mental disorder. Moms and dads, if your little boy is a little rowdy, if he's competitive, if he's a bit rough around the edges, if he thinks bodily noises are hilarious, hey, he's a boy. Send him outside to play. 
Wives in the room, if your husbands are a little rowdy, if they're a little competitive, if they're a little rough around the edges, if they think that bodily noises are funny, they're a boy. Send them outside to play. Acts chapter 13, verse 22, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything that I want him to do. Man, we read a lot about David. We, we know the big stories, right? We know that David was a shepherd boy. We know that David was a warrior. We know that David became king. But David was far from perfect. David was also an adulterer. David was also a murderer. D David also was not a very good dad. One of his sons tried to kill him. But the statement about David being a man after God's own heart is found in two specific places in Scripture. The first one is 1 Samuel chapter 13. To give you some context, God rejected Saul as king. He commissioned Samuel to go anoint David. And he makes this statement to Samuel, Go get David. He's a man after my own heart. And at that time, David was a little younger. I can understand it. David's a teenager. He's probably about 17 when he killed Goliath, maybe a little younger. But he's innocent and he has his entire life ahead of him. I can understand why in that moment God would say, David is a man after my own heart. So, so I get that part. But I don't get it in Acts 13. Because in Acts 13, it's after David was in an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. Acts 13 is after Bathsheba's husband is killed by David. Acts 13 is after he was not a very good dad for his kids. But what's the difference? What does Scripture say? Scripture says this, David repented. David repented. God says when David repents, he's still a man after my own heart. Fellas in the room, let me talk to you for a second. Your past sexual sin does not disqualify you from being a man after God's own heart. L let me say it again. Your past sexual sin does not disqualify you from being a man after God's own heart. Your past shortcomings as a father does not disqualify you from being a man after God's own heart. Today is a new day. But why would God say that? What is it about David's life that qualified him from being a man after God's own heart? Here, here's the key. The key is this. It's found in one statement. David was a worshiper and a warrior. David was a worshiper and a warrior. I love this about David. Scripture says that David would chase down a lion and a bear protecting his sheep. That's a man after God's own heart. Anybody ever seen the movie uh, Revenant? with Leonardo DiCaprio, where he's like mauled by a bear. Like that, I'm thinking of that kind of bear that David had to chase down. There, there's a new movie coming out called The Beast, and it's about the lion. Anybody seen the previews? It's like a lion that stalks this family on the safari in Africa. Okay, I'm just the only weird one that's seen the, the preview. <laughs> the only thing that I can relate that to, scariest movie I've ever seen in my life, was Cujo. Anybody, <laughs> everybody ever watch Cujo? I don't know why my parents, I don't think they like, let me watch it. I think I just stayed up and watched it. 
But I, couldn't, I cannot imagine chasing down a lion and a bear with a sling and a stone. Like that, that's a man's man. David killed this lion and this bear. And then what did he do? He picked up a harp and he wrote a song about it. Like that, David, you were a man's man. You're a warrior. And you play the harp? He's a worshiper and a warrior. So he writes this song, and then what does he do? He kills a nine-foot giant with a sling and a stone. He's a man's man. He's a warrior. And then after that, Scripture says that David danced so much in front of his wife that she was actually embarrassed. <laughs> Any other husbands like that in the room? Like you dance, and your, your family's like, oh, dear God, what are they doing? <laughs> but David was a worshiper and a warrior. I mean, imagine for a, a second being David. This joker has his sling and this stone. He didn't just watch sheep, and he fought lions and bears. Those two things aren't mutually exclusive. It's all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. If I had, if I had two colors up here, if I just had blue and this orangish-yellow thing, whatever we had, and I poured them in and said, this is a worshiper, this is a warrior, and I asked you to separate the colors, you couldn't do it. We were never, men in the room, we were never meant to be separate. We are always called to be a worshiper and a warrior. Well, what does it mean to be a worshiper? Look at the art size. David was a skilled musician. 1 Samuel chapter 16 tells us that David was so skilled that he was brought before Saul to play the harp. David wrote poetry and songs. 75 out of the 148 psalms in the Bible, David wrote. If you don't think David was emotional, just go through and read the book of Psalms. Dude was emotional. He's like, oh God, my enemies are chasing me down. Help. Like, you know what I mean? He's crying out to God. David was emotional and he had no trouble expressing those emotions. Listen, I've got old journals. I probably shouldn't tell, tell this about myself. Uh, but I've got old journals that I thought that I could write poetry. Babe, do not go look in some of those old journals. You probably have. We've been married for nine years. You have. You've read some of them. Oh, crap. Why? I'm glad you married me before you read them. I thought I could write poetry. I went back and read some. I'm like, oh, dear God. <laughs> I'm like, God, why is this girl breaking up with me? <laughs> like, it's like heartbroken. This is before Jen. This is like in high school. I was also, <laughs> I wasn't going to share this, but I'll share it. Uh, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm a worshiper and a warrior. Uh, but I, I also did musical theater growing up. I was in Footloose and Guys and Dolls. I loved it. I also played baseball. I was also in the Marine Corps. I don't, I don't have to, like, separate those things. It's who I am. It's who I was. We don't have to, like, try to put on this facade. But what I love about David, again, going back, David repented. David admitted when he was wrong, and he repented before God and man. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13 says this, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Men in the room, if we are not careful, our stubbornness and our pride will keep us from God and ultimately keep us from our family. Do not let your stubbornness and your pride get in the way. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to have emotions. It's okay to worship the Lord. Listen, if you're a man in the room, if you're skilled in the arts, if you like to read or write poetry, if you're a musician, if you're emotional, 
If you're gifted in the arts, that's not your feminine side. That's actually your masculine side. You are a man after God's own heart. If you're a man with these qualities, don't let anyone ever tell you that you're not a man if you dive in deeper into them. Listen, you're still a man of God. You're a mighty man and you are a warrior. You're a worshiper and a warrior. I'm learning this more and more the older my girls get. Any dads in the room have just girls? I know some of y'all have guys like boys too. Any just girls? Like it's different when you have just girls. I mean, and the, guy, the dads that have girls, like, you, you feel this too. If you just have boys, like, you never feel this. <laughs> but if you have girls, like, there, there is just something that's, that's tender and sweet and, and different about having a girl. I'm more sensitive now than I've ever been in my entire life. Like, I, I am sensitive, especially when it comes to my girls. I will let Piper paint my, my toenails. I, here's a weird thing. I love brushing my daughter's hair. I absolutely love She hates it, but I love it. I love braiding Piper's hair. I love getting in the floor with him and playing with the baby dolls. I, I, I like watching Piper like being a little princess, walking around, dancing around. That I absolutely love it, but you better believe I'll go through somebody's neck if they mess with my family. I can be sensitive and be a warrior. I, I can be sensitive and still be protective. I can be in tune with my emotions and still stand up for my family. David was a worshiper and a warrior. Listen, if you're a man in the room, don't ever let the lies of the enemy or anyone else, for that matter, tell you that it's not manly to worship. I, I don't care what your, your field is. Maybe you're an athlete. Maybe you're a hunter. Maybe you're a craftsman. Maybe you're a mechanic. I don't care what you like to do that, that's manly. That's good. Like, do those things, but don't let anyone ever tell you that it's not manly to lift up your hands. Don't let anyone tell you that it's not manly to, to jump in front of the Lord. Don't let anyone tell you that it's not manly to let tears roll down your cheeks and worship. Don't let anyone tell you that it's, that it's not okay for you to be tender towards your wife. It is absolutely okay for you to be tender, tender and loving and caring towards your wife. It's okay for you to bring your wife in close and to squeeze her, and to love her. And it's absolutely okay for you to bring your kids in close and to squeeze them and to love them and to tell them how proud you are of them. To kiss them on the cheek, to kiss them on the forehead, to kiss them all over and just, just to embrace them and love them. That is absolutely manly. David was a worshiper and a warrior. I, I told you about the schools that are outlawing, outlawing dodgeball and they're playing tug of peace. Let me tell you a different story. Let me tell you about the Heights Academy. The Heights Academy is an all-boys school. And as you pull up to the school, there's a banner outside the gates that reads, Heights School, Men Fully Alive. This school is absolutely thriving. There's new construction each and every year. They have a population of about 460 fully engaged male students between 6th grade and 12th grade. So much so that competition is part of their everyday life and it's embedded with an ethical system. But younger boys attend classes and log cabins where they learn about insects, plants, and flowers. They memorize poetry and take weekly classes in painting and in drawing. 
But they also do things like this. The eighth grade boys this past year, they were reenacting a Roman battle of Philippi in 42 BC, which they studied in class. So these boys, they were given cardboard and they were given tape and they were given Sharpies and water balloons. So they all had to make their shields and they all had to make their swords. And for an hour, they literally let the boys just fight. <laughs> and, and what happened is they had fun. They were fighting back and forth. The younger boys were on the side and their job was to throw the water balloons. And, and the older boys, they ended up making like the tortoise shell that the Romans had. Like y'all seen 300, right? Oh, right. And they get and they make their, that wasn't too good, right? Um, sorry. There you go. But they, they, just, they just fall. And then what did they do? They went back and they painted and they drawed or they drew. They memorized poetry. They're worshipers and they're warriors. And it's funny how this sermon is right before the men's retreat, right? It's like it was intentional or something. We're not going to be a church that just talks about it. We're going to be about it. 90% of the guys in the room are like, oh crap, what does that even, what, is, what does that mean? What does that even mean? We're going to step back into worship. The altars are open. The last couple weeks, I've, I've told you that if you want to change anything, you want to change anything in your life, you start at the altar. You want to change anything in your life, you start with Jesus. What would it look like for every man in the room to actually lead the way? What would it look like for every man in the room to take one step of discomfort? Listen, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. For you, it might be standing and singing out loud for the very first time in church. For others of you in the room, your, your step that makes you a little uncomfortable is just maybe turning your palms up. For some of you in the room, you need to lift your hands high. For others of you in the room, you need to find your face down at the altar. I can talk a little, a little tougher right now because I'm talking to the fellas in the room. I told you I'm going to get in your grits. I, I'm tired. I'm tired of the American church, men all across our nation, walking into church on a Sunday morning and acting like they have to have it all put together. And this is who I am. And I'm strong and I'm tough. You can absolutely be strong and tough and get on your face before the Lord. You want to show me real strength? Show me how you worship God. You want to show me real strength? Show me how you pray for your family. You want to show me real strength? You want to so, show society how strong you really are? Then show me how you spend time with Jesus. Hey, thanks for joining us today at Multiply Church. We can't wait to see you again next week, either in person or online, as we continue to love Jesus and change the world.